Greetings, programs, and welcome to the Awesome Friday Podcast, the podcast where we talk about two movies every week. My name is Matthew, and with me, as always, is Simon. Say hello, Simon. <laughs> Sorry, our voices are a bit, um, a bit all over the place. Hi, how are you? Hi, Matt. I haven't been speaking to you about Shorzy for the last ten minutes. I hope you're well. Oh you're yeah, right. that's a, not so bad. Not so bad. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. are you doing now? I'm. I, I'm I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but I have been watching a lot of Let's Kenny, and now you have been too. And uh, I don't know if you're resisting the urge whenever you see anyone to go, how are you now? Yeah. Uh, I've you... definitely started, when people ask me how I am, I definitely have started answering, oh, not so bad. <laughs> it's, it's uh, for those of you unfamiliar with it, Letter Kenny is a Canadian sitcom that is kind of hilarious that you should definitely check out. It's on Crave, and I think it's on Hulu in the States. So definitely check out that. Mm-hmm. And it's there's ten seasons to catch up on, so there's lots of hilarity to enjoy. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what have you done? What's been a highlight of your movie watching week? Uh, before we talk about the movies we're actually going to talk about. Uh, well, this past this past week was the uh, um, Hot Docs Film Festival, so I watched a lot of documentary films over the past uh, week and change, um, including. Uh, uh, we, I did a video with my our friend Thomas from For Real uh, talking about some of the highlights, but I really enjoyed one called Scrap, which is all about, um, well, just scrap, like scrap metal in particular. So it's a series of vignettes. One is just about a man who owns a scrapyard in like rural America somewhere, and it's all just super old cars. And one is about a, a ship that's being disassembled in Spain and the pieces are going to be turned into a church. And one is about a woman who lives mm-hmm. in an aircraft graveyard in, uh, I think it was Indonesia, I think. Um, super interesting, super beautifully shot and super understated. I enjoyed very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a really one that I think everyone will probably get a chance to see called Fire of Love, which is all about these uh, volcanologists, the crafts, um, uh, Katya and oh, his name's gone out of my head. Anyway, they were um, volcanologists in the fifties, sixties, and seventies, uh, and they were pretty famous at the time, anyway, because they were among the first volcanologists to really like walk right up to the edge of erupting volcanoes. And this whole documentary is told via this huge trove. They were like, they were very like avid photographers and video like filmmakers to try and get as much information as they could. So they left behind this huge trove of film and images and the whole documentary is i mean some of it is just them on tv and the rest of it is just their photography and it's stunning from start to finish and um yeah i'll do a third one (laughs) there's another one i watch (laughs) called the quiet epidemic which is just terrifying um it's all about people who are living with chronic lyme disease which is a much bigger Mm -hmm. problem it's a problem everywhere in North America. Mm-hmm. It's a much bigger problem uh, back east where ticks are very prevalent. But what makes the documentary kind of harrowing is that the American medical uh, community, at least, basically doesn't acknowledge that chronic Lyme is a thing. So mm. people who are living with this condition have no insurance coverage. They have to spend everything out of pocket. And the main, the main subject of the documentary is a girl who, at the start of the documentary, she's... Um, she was bitten by a tick when she was like nine and she developed symptoms when she was an 11 and she was a bright, happy dance loving little girl. And she lost the ability to walk. Wow. And the, and the document the, the, during the documentary, she's 16. Jeez. And it's just terrifying. And, and, and weirdly and morbidly is super interesting to hear about a health crisis that isn't COVID. Um, but it's also just like terrifying it's just terrifying these people they travel all over the world trying to get treatment because in america they just can't get it so who someone very famous was in bed for years with lyme disease it might have been avril levin it was someone Uh, like of that ilk was in bed for a long time with lyme disease i don't know the answer to that question Uh, but yes, it's uh, horrible and completely unfair, like most terrible things like that. Uh, okay, well, that sounds really, really cool. Did you have a favorite out of all the, the docs that you watched? So one uh, that really stood out for you? 
Yeah, it was it was probably scrap. Uh, oh, sounds really I would have to. I would. I'd have to look back over the list. It's such an interesting subject, um, and it's just so interestingly presented. Because, and I said this, I reviewed it for the site, and also I talked about it in the video that I did. But it's also it's super understated, and it manages to basically remind us, remind the viewer that like we definitely have to do better about the things that we make, but without actually explicitly ever stating that or beating you over the head with it. Yeah. It just presents this picture of like, we just need to do better basically. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty great. Oh, cool. Well, yeah. what have you been up to? I feel like well, I've talked for several uh, minutes straight. So what have you been up to? The, I just let Kelly ready. I have very short periods of time where I'm actually either available to watch stuff or conscious to watch stuff. And um, I did watch, I rewatched Free Guy with my family last night and my daughter and wife hadn't seen it and they loved it. And I think it works even better the second time. I really enjoyed Free Guy the first time, but when you can see it's like, when you can see it's dynamics and you know where it's going and you know how it's getting there, it's a very clever movie. It's very well put together, very well written. Brilliantly directed. Mm -hmm. I think Sean, Sean Levy's a, a, a brilliant director for that kind of uh, family-friendly action movie. Uh, I think he's really, really good at that kind of niche. And we don't have enough movies that kind of exploit that. Um, and it's it's just really, really nice. In a, it's it's quite interesting to me comparing it to um, what's the um, the Adam project which I don't mm -hmm. think is quite as successful. Same director, same star, uh, lots of good elements, but there's Free Guys, one of those movies. I remember saying this when we first talked about it, where everything just fits together beautifully. Like everything is just balanced really, really well. And mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it just works like gangbusters. It's really, really good. And everyone loved it. So that's, that's great. Yeah. I think Free Guy has an advantage, just sort of thinking out loud here, but, I think Free Guy has an advantage in that because it's set in a video game and because they've clearly, you know, licensed video game elements from other places, every time there's a reference or whatever, it sort mm -hmm. of fits because they're in this video game world. Whereas in the Atom Project, mm -hmm. it's cobbled together from references to better things and it just kind of feels, for lack of a better word, it feels a bit cheap. Like, mm -hmm. You know, like I want to make a movie. Like they clearly wanted to make a movie where the main character had a lightsaber, but not make a Star Wars movie, and so that's yeah, what they yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, I think I think that's fair. I do like the Adam Project a lot, but um, Free Guy is is just it. The thing with video game movies, if you've seen something like, um, oh god, what's the Adam Sandler thing where he has to fight back against Pixels? Pixels. If you've seen Pixels or other like video game movies a lot of the time they're made by people who are not, who don't really understand the value and like what attracts people to video games. And Free Guy really, really gets that, really gets where the fun and the kind of um, escapism of that comes from. So uh, yeah, it's really, really good. Very nice movie. Yeah. And it's also just got like such a, such a pure, lovely core theme of mm -hmm. love and acceptance and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. yeah. through the middle yeah, of it. Yeah. yeah. Good. So what are we talking about today? Oh, so this is a very special episode of the Awesome Friday podcast. We didn't have anything new that we particularly wanted to watch this week, and so we're <laughs> taking the opportunity to do one of our make and remake episodes, and the movies we're watching are the 1957 melodrama Zero Hour, and it's much more famous 1980 remake airplane <laughs> and uh it's it's i mean we'll get into this in a bit but it is it is shocking how the same they are to be to be perfectly frank ever i think i don't think there's anyone in the world who doesn't know what airplane is mm -hmm. uh and what kind of movie it is um but then zero hour is very much like a you know it's an 80 85 minute made for tv not made for mm -hmm. tv but an 85 minute like straight up melodrama and mm -hmm. uh I mean, I kind of, I kind of really dug it actually. Like, I, I don't know. That's the thing. We've been talking about doing this for a long, long time, and we it was really nice to finally get around to it. But the most surprising thing for me, where I was expecting, you know, a bad movie. I, I was expecting Airplane to be to be making fun of a bad movie, 
And what it turns out is that Airplane is an absolute love letter to pretty much a perfect example of black and white melodrama thriller of the 50s. And I'm yep. amazed I've never seen this film before and never even really heard of it outside of Airplane. I guess Canadian cinema doesn't have the international impact <laughs> in England as uh, the US sort of 50s thrillers did. But the um, I think before we get into the, the, the details with this, every um, theatrical writing or film writing school should have this on their syllabus, having these two compared to each other, because it turns out that Airplane is a masterclass on adding just um, about just the right amount of something to make something a different genre, like to make it slightly funny or to make it a slightly bigger focus. Because there's, you said that there's, um, before I watched, you, you knew that there were pieces like taken verbatim from Zero Hour into Airplane. Mm-hmm. Turns out there's a lot, there's a lot of lines from Zero Hour and scenes that are transferred directly to Airplane, but then Zucker, Abram, Zucker do the thing where they just tweak them a little bit and suddenly yeah. it's one of the funniest things you've seen. Yeah, it's what I was my I was going to come around to saying basically exactly the same thing a little, a little later, but basically that <laughs> Zero Hour is basically exactly the right level of melodrama that it really only took a like a little nudge mm-hmm. to make a lot of the scenes funny. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the dialogue is so so pitched, so so melodramatic that just just adding like an extra emphasis on 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 line can make some of them really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I really enjoyed watching them both. I watched them effectively back to back. Like I, I watched them both on the same day, and it was it was kind of mm-hmm. like it was just like watching the same movie twice. Yeah. Now I know that there's probably no one here who doesn't know the basic plot of Airplane, but the basic plot of both movies is that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's people on a plane, and there's two choices for dinner, and everyone who has the fish gets terrible food poisoning, and the only including both pilots, and the only person who can possibly fly and land the plane is the main character, Ted Stryker, who's played by Dana Andrews in the 1957 film and by Robert Hayes in the 1980 film. And he has a history, because he was a pilot, a fighter pilot in the war, and he made a call that resulted in a number of people dying and he is, he has some pretty severe PTSD around it. So getting back behind the, the, the controls of an airplane is a big deal for him. And he has to basically overcome his demons to, to land this plane and save everyone in the 1957 version, including his own son. <laughs> and uh, did I miss anything? That's basically the whole movie, right? Like no, there's that's nothing. pretty much it. So you've got you've you've got a couple of layers here. You've got him trying to um, uh, win back his kind of semi-estranged wife and son. You've got him trying to get over his PTSD from his warplane games, like like getting on the airplane is a terribly terrifying thing for him anyway. And then compounded on that, you have this airport thriller. So you've got this like three things happening at the same time, and. Um, you make a really good point, actually, about Zero Hour. And I think the, the successful movies of that time and the, the ones that we kind of rewatch find that balance of melodrama because the moment you make you go too far with melodrama, it becomes either stupid or funny. And so, obviously, Airplane did the right thing by pushing it slightly. But um, Zero Hour was actually, I don't know what you felt, but was actually a much, much better movie than I was expecting it to be. Like, yeah, no, to be perfectly honest, I didn't, ex- I didn't, having, it's weird because I've seen Airplane, and I, I said this on Twitter yesterday, that I've seen Airplane an uncountable number of times. Mm-hmm. But I had never actually sat down and watched Zero Hour, and I didn't, I didn't actually expect it to be bad so much as just kind of, Forgettable, forgettable, you know, yeah. like just another movie. And in, I guess in some ways you could argue that it is just a, just another melodrama from the 50s, but it has just enough going on. And some of the lines are so close to being funny anyway yeah. that this, they must have watched this film and like, I know how to make this hilarious. Like, I know how to just tip this over the edge. Like, it's circling, it's circling the rim and I know how to tip it into the basket type thing. <laughs> 
and because like some of the lines like even the line the 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 famous line from in an airplane uh from lloyd bridges where he says i quit i could pick the wrong week to quit smoking is verbatim from zero hour like there's so much and and there's also like um i i really enjoyed dana andrews i don't really know what else that i have seen him in mm-hmm. but i thought he did a really good job as ted striker uh and um sterling hayden plays the airport manager for those of you who are you know film bros sterling hayden is the corrupt police chief in the godfather and he plays the airport boss guiding them down with whom striker has like a fraught history from them both being in the air force together this is the part played by robert stack in airplane and i i don't i don't know i don't know i don't know how else to say this it's it's so it's such a interestingly good movie like it's basically a perfect three out of five for me and everyone is so invested and i just i mean i really just want to get the airplane is what i'm getting getting (laughs) but like i want but I, I really, it? I really, I really enjoyed watching Zero Hours. What I'm trying to is the long, the short way of what I'm trying to say. I really enjoyed watching it. I thought everyone was basically perfectly cast and basically mm-hmm. did a really good job with all the material. Seemed to know exactly what kind of movie they were in and just went for it. Yeah. Did you have the same experience I had, where um, because so much of the script is used verbatim, and I've just read that the reason they were able to use the screenplayers because uh, paramount um what at that point had taken ownership of zero hour and paramount made airplane so they just gave them the script which is why they could use it verbatim yeah as i recall and, they did have to pay a licensing fee but it was like two thousand dollars or twenty five hundred dollars or something something really minimal i mean less minimal I, in 1980 but um but certainly not like hundreds of thousands of dollars they just had yeah. to pay like the most yeah, they were able to obtain the rights from Warner Brothers and Paramount for about twenty five hundred dollars. So whatever twenty five hundred dollars <laughs> was in nineteen seventy nine, that's what that's what they paid. And it kind of feels like when when I was watching Zero Hour, there were many many moments where it's hard not to treat it as a comedy because you you have seen the comedy version of that exact scene like play out later. I found some of that quite difficult. Yeah, but, that's definitely um, a thing. There's definitely scenes in the movie where my head was just filling in the quips. Or, yeah. or at least like being maybe a little bit uh, jarred is the wrong word, but there's a couple where the uh, the the dialogue is only slightly changed, and my brain was like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> that's not." Oh God. And the and when the woman starts freaking out, and um, the she tries to get out of the the thing, cuts her hand, and the yeah. stewardess starts shaking her, and it's like, "I'm waiting." Calm down, calm down. Smacking her. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, we missed a trick here because apparently it was remade as a made-for-television movie called *Terror in the Sky* in 1971. So there is a third version of this kicking around that we could watch as well. Well, that would make wonder... that would make four because it was made in 1956. It was a Canadian live teleplay starring James Doohan <laughs> called *Flight into Terror*. That was the original version. James Doohan, as in Scotty James Doohan. Yeah. Yes. Is he Canadian? He is. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Um, well, yeah, flight, we, flight I, into I, no, sorry, sorry. It was called not flight into danger, and it was presented as a live teleplay on the Alcoa Hour on the CBC, <laughs> and that was licensed really by Paramount to turn into uh, into Zero Hour. So I really yeah, hear that now. Um, I mean, I I I may I may have emailed my press contact at CBC to ask if it's available in the archive. <laughs> I have not heard back yet. Oh, I hope so. That would be amazing. It was, I don't know how big Zero Hour was, how successful it was, but it almost felt, and I found this very, very funny myself, that if you if you haven't seen Zero Hour, you're almost missing an entire aspect of Airplane. Because when I went back and watched Airplane again, immediately after finishing Zero Hour, it was like a whole like curtain had been pulled back on a different element of this movie. I had no idea. Mm-hmm that it was um, riffing off this original movie. And I found it personally hilarious that they chose this one specific Canadian, like 50s melodrama that if you haven't seen, you're not going to fully like get their movie. 
instead of like the biggest movie or the biggest melodrama of the year, even by Paramount standards, they chose this like Canadian thing. And I find that funny as well. It's just very, very funny. Yeah. And I think that's actually the smartest thing about airplane, right? Is that they, rather than trying to create something whole cloth, they have a complete story that they can just pepper in funny things and in most, and again, in a lot of cases, just really just nudge them from being melodramatic into being funny. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, th- I don't think that any of, as much as I really, I do really like Zucker Abrams, Zucker, Zucker's work. I'm a big fan of Police Squad and the first Naked Gun movie and Top Secret, especially, I really like, which was their next film after this one. Um, oh. And as a 90s a kid who grew up in the 90s, I have a soft spot for Hot Shots, Part Two, especially. Um, but I don't oh, think really? I don't think that any of them are as successful as Airplane, and it's clearly because they are they're they're having they're having to create the parody whole cloth, right? They're mm-hmm. not. Whereas this, they're able to just uh, adapt it and make it funny. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's um, that's that's what I got to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> did so did you did you find yourself in zero hour? Did you find yourself getting invested in the story? Because yeah. I definitely like when the plane crash, when the plane yeah. lands, and then sort of crashes in what I thought was like a pretty over the top way in airplane, but is actually basically how it happens in zero hour. Um, I found myself maybe not on the edge of my seat, but certainly like leaning forward. You know, like. So this is definitely another element that really surprised me that I was really like holding my breath for the last 20 minutes. Like I I've seen lots and lots of this movies from this period, especially the, the, the sci-fi ones, but a lot of these uh, disaster movies as well. I just love them. And uh, I wasn't expecting, again, I went in thinking it was going to be probably a bit of a throwaway crappy movie and I enjoyed all of it. But that last 20 minutes, I'm like, you know, I was on the edge of my seat. I was like almost holding my breath and I know I was because when they finally landed, just a big old exhale. But even with the very, very obvious like model, <laughs> model airplane, oh, that yeah. was the, ex- the external shot that when it lands, which airplane again, pastiches beautifully with their like hand drawn backdrops and their like toy that crashes. But um, even with that, it's just a great uh, example again of, uh, what these movies did really, really well, which is get you invested. So it doesn't matter if they're crashing a toy. It doesn't matter if you, every blind inside the airplane in, in Zero Hour was closed. Like you never see that they're anywhere like that is mm-hmm. flying. You never see any external shots coming from inside the plane. And so the only time you see the plane is like these really hokey, like model crashes. But I have to say as well, this extends to the Spitfire battle at the beginning so you don't see this in um, in airplane, but in Zero Hour you see the full like Spitfire battle that uh, Stryker survived, but many of his buddies didn't. And again, it's clearly like models with like backdrops in front of them. But <laughs> I I love a good Spitfire battle, and I thought it was really really good. But one of my favorite things that actually reminded me of George Lucas's approach to spaceships in the prequels. One of the best things is that he basically used the same kind of engine sounds and the Spitfires just have these angry like car engines. And uh, that was one of my favorite things. And it reminded me of, of that. But really well done again. Again with models and very few shots where you see the actual humans interacting where they're meant to be like flying around. But um, I was really invested. Really, really invested. <laughs> I mean, it turns out it's a good movie, and I guess it's, it's it goes really to show movie. you that like your two options with a movie like that are, are if it's bad. I I don't think that Mystery Science Theater, and I don't watch a lot of Mystery Science Theater, but Mystery Science mm-hmm. Theater works really well in my opinion when they're able to like make fun of the movie when it's mm-hmm. not really quite good. But I think if you're going to adapt something in this way or parody it, you need to start from a place of it being good in the first place. Like you can't mm-hmm. you can't really parody a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you can, but I just don't think you're going to be as successful or beloved in the same way. Yeah. Uh, so. No, I loved it. I, it's a, I don't know. Would you give a black and white melodrama from the fifties four, five? Who knows? I, I gave it. I'm giving a perfect. It's a perfect three out of five. 
Oh, no. It's, I, the, the way I held my breath for that last 20 minutes, that's a, at least a four for me. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can't go three. I can't go three. Um, it's, it's, it's just a great example of that genre at that time. It's a really good movie. Yeah. Really nice. So if you get the chance, uh, zero, uh, there are, it's actually shockingly available in lots of places to rent. So there will be streaming links for that in the show notes. Um, so, uh, anything else you want to say about zero hour? Like I, I enjoyed the movie. That's what, that's where I'm coming from. Um, um I, I rented it and I'm probably going to buy it. Wow. Because, because I actually worked, I, uh, at the same time watching this, I did some work and it's, it's a great working movie because you don't you understand this kind of movie is is a very specific thing and you don't need to watch that with great attention. But um, I say that the last twenty minutes I didn't look away. I barely even blinked. But yeah. uh, uh, it's I really enjoyed it. It's a real pleasure. I, I really enjoy how stagey films from this era still feel yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Similarly to the time we talked about. Um, uh, the thing from outer, like the the, the original thing, the thing mm-hmm. from outer space or whatever it was called. The same way that it was very pitched and melodramatic and very stagey. That mm-hmm. sort of fits in that same genre. So that same sort yeah. of like rewatchability for me. Yeah, yeah. And I I just love the 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 idiosyncrasies of the time as well. When he decided to follow his wife onto the plane, he just bought a ticket and walked onto the runway and walked yep. up the gantry. And the hostess is well. Oh, good afternoon. So, where would you like to sit? Why don't you come and sit up here? Like, yes, I think I will, and have a smoke at the same time. It's just uh different times. Yeah, I I really hate flying as well, so that that touched a nerve for me as well. It's great. Yeah. Well. Oh. So. Uh, uh, oh no! Go on. Go on. Go on. There's one moment. So, what's the name of the um? What's the name of the pilot? Is it? Oh, it's Captain Martin Wilson. Um, uh, like the pilot um, who, the the main pilot the, of the plane. The main the main pilot in Zero Hour. Anyway, there's one point where they phone his wife because he's like, "Your your husband's in trouble," and she, for whatever reason, do you know what I'm talking about? She this shot. She gets out of bed and she's in this amazing fifties lingerie that is yep. very like vivacious and cleavage and. She like leans forward. It's like, oh yes, I'll be there right away. And in the airplane version, they do exactly the same thing with this lace like negligee, and she leans forward, and there's a horse in bed with her for no reason—a <laughs> live horse. And you see the horse's head, she's like, oh yeah, model horse. And then she's like, I'll be back on Saturday. And the horse just gets up and leaves. <laughs> yeah, I have to go to the like airport. Little, yeah, yeah. I have to go. You can let yourself out the like back that. door. There's juice in the yeah. fridge. <laughs> It's <laughs> like clearly the horses are like, like it's and then yeah she's very handsy the rest of the movie too it's <laughs> really just like that that's what i love we'll get into this of course but what they do really well is find these little points like why is she shot like this glamorous like sexy time lady in bed by herself and just slightly run with it but not too much that's the genius yeah. of these guys yeah anyway let's move on to airplane exclamation mark so in the in the grand canon of of films in your head, where does airplane like land for you, like like rating? So, just for some clarity, I think Airplane is probably the film that I have seen the most times in my life. That is probably like as much as I want to say something like Jaws or Jurassic Park or one of the Star Treks is my all time favorite movie. I <laughs> think it's actually probably Airplane. So, like, where does it land in your canon? I did I did watch it a lot because there's one scene at 47 minutes in where for no reason whatsoever, when everyone's fighting on the plane, when the um, their air uh, hostess says, everything's fine, when the lady says, everything's fine, by the way, is there anybody on board who knows how to fly a plane? <laughs> and everyone starts freaking out. And for no reason whatsoever, a uh, um, a Mexican actress i forget her name now runs in front of the camera completely bare-breasted and shakes her breast for like a second then runs off so you have to understand when i was watching this when i was young i i did watch this movie many many times (laughs) i i i mean there's no way i've seen this movie more than 
a Star Wars. There's just no way I've seen anything more than Star Wars or indie or or Terminator or anything like that. But I feel like it's a movie I was constantly watching parts of in my in my youth. It seemed to be on a lot, like late night Channel Four. <laughs> we had four channels in my day, um, mm-hmm. late night Channel Four or like BBC Two or something like that, and. Young me is like, there's definitely breasts in this movie. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, so I saw Airplane like long before I saw Naked Gun or uh, anything else. Um, and uh, I remember finding it funny when I was really, really young. I think it's probably one of the movies, actually, that kind of defined my sense of humor. Like, I mean, this is where Airplane, I was, this is what I was coming Airplane back to, and, is that it right. definitely it definitely informed the way that I deliver yeah. funny things. Right. Between Airplane and Monty Python and a, a Blackadder. So all the humor that I was being exposed to wasn't like big brash, what I call like American neon sign humor. It's delivered straight faces, no laughter track. Uh, and it's all about puns and clever, like timing, clever delivery, situational comedy, um, like, little like observations of things that are in the background that are actually hilarious so i think it's one of the movies that really defined when i make films as well when i try and make something funny (laughs) try um airplane is front and center because it was such a massive influence on like you say as well line delivery british humor is very dry anyway and i think american humor is not typically dry but when it is like this when they get it I think Canadian humor is the same, actually. Let's Kenny fits this beautifully. That kind of chaotic, dry humor, that really lands for me. And so it was a big influence for me, definitely. Yeah, and I think I think it helped for me, and like obviously growing up not really knowing this, but now as an adult, having a much deeper understanding that like, uh, like I grew up thinking Les Nielsen was a funny man. But prior to Airplane, he was a very dramatic actor, routinely played adventurers and heavies and like Roman bad guy. Like he's a very dramatic actor, known for dramatic parts. And that is also true of Robert Stack and Lloyd Bridges and Peter Graves. And in all three cases, they're effectively, A, they're basically brought on board to deadpan the kind of dialogue that they normally have to deadpan. And it's just it's just nudged to slightly into being hilarity by some visual gag or some additional word or whatever. Um, but also, they're all parodying themselves. Like Robert mm-hmm. Stack played uh, a pilot that had to land uh, land a plane, and so did Peter Graves. And uh, Lloyd Bridges played the manager of San Francisco Airport in a TV show called San Francisco Airport. Like he <laughs> like they're they're literally parod- They're there because of not just that they're great actors, but because of the parts that they have played, which is a level of the joke that I don't think we really get to appreciate anymore. Mm-hmm. At least not in the general sense. Mm-hmm. But seeing, you know, someone like Robert Stack just just completely deadpan this ridiculous dialogue or just deadpan his way through. One of my favorite moments in the whole movie is one of the dumbest things ever, but he's delivering this line of dialogue to someone and he takes off a pair of sunglasses for emphasis and there's just another pair of sunglasses there <laughs> which he then proceeds to also take off for emphasis on the next line and he just he just straight phases his way through the whole thing and it wouldn't be funny if he it's a type of movie where if he if he if anyone winked to the audience yeah. and we'll come around to this in a, uh, a little bit later i think but if anyone winks to the audience then it ruins it yeah, it becomes totally. stupid and there's one character in the movie who does this and i hate him for it but Everyone, all the main characters are 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 just they know they're they're in the 1957 movie, right? They're yeah. and they're delivering all their dialogue as though they're in that movie, and it's it's great as a result of that. Who's the character you hate? Oh fucking! I hate Johnny so much. Like is that is that the kid? I didn't respond when he texted me that. Is that the little boy? No, Johnny's the other guy in the airport who he has exactly one funny gag that uh... I think comes up a couple of times where someone says, More coffee get me more coffee how about some more coffee, Johnny? He goes, No thanks <laughs> <laughs> And there's one other one where so, uh, Lloyd Bridges is looking at a map and he goes, "What do you make out of what do you make of this, Johnny?" And he goes, "Well, I can make a hat or a brooch." 
<laughs> but most of the time, he's literally looking at the camera and delivering a joke, and the joke is almost always terrible because of it. And I know lots of people love Johnny, but I, I kind of—he's in a different movie than everyone else for most of the runtime. Mm-hmm. And That's I don't. An interesting point. I don't. I don't have that reaction. I see exactly why you would say that because he's constantly breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. Um. I kind of find him funny in. Uh. Do you know Spike Lee? Not Spike Lee. Um. Spike Lee. Oh God, Spike. Oh God, my memory. Old guy. He's dead now. Anyway, he he always gave like chaotic jokes to the audience as well so i don't i don't really mind it but i can totally see why that would rub you up the wrong way i yeah. want to say i like i i think the this kind of humor uh and i mentioned this to you earlier this week like it was a big risk for the directors to hire these previous straight men even though it worked beautifully because knowing how to deliver funny lines but do it straight is really really difficult not to like play it up too much and for me obviously Leslie Nielsen's fantastic at it all those guys you mentioned were perfect at delivery um uh Bo Bridges as well Bo Bridges Lloyd Bridges Lloyd Bridges I get, I get that family mixed up all the time Lloyd Bridges even though he's the most ridiculous out of everyone has that perfect delivery too but for me as well someone who was equally as good as Leslie Nielsen was Lorna Patterson as the, uh, as, oh, as Randy, Randy. So yeah. she, she has a big part in this movie and her delivery, um, is so like perfectly dry and the timing of it is fantastic. There's one moment where she's, uh, helping everyone, showing everyone how to put on a, um, a flotation device and she pulls she pulls the ring and it pops off her head and she's got an inflatable duck underneath <laughs> and she and she doesn't break at all but she has this little like just this look in her eye which is just perfect and it reminded me of um in monty python uh, john cleese's writing body was a woman called connie booth and when we think about monty python and 40 towers we always think of john cleese and all the male members but the female members of Monty Python, uh, I'm not sure Connie Booth did Monty Python, but she did 40 Towers, are brilliant writers and brilliant at that straight delivery as well. And it really reminded me of that because I don't think, um, I think she was a great foil for Leslie Nielsen as well. I think they both, Mm -hmm. they balanced out that that dry, ironic delivery really, really well. Um, So I loved her. I think she's fantastic. And gorgeous. Gorgeous as well. I also think that Julie Haggerty did uh, also, I mean, everyone, I think everyone in the movie is pretty great. I also think that we overlook Julie Haggerty a lot because she clearly also knows that she's in a 1957 melodrama, but she has to deliver some of the like, most ridiculous and sexually charged dialogue, and she does it perfectly every time. And one of those scenes, there's a scene that's taken verbatim from Zero Hour, where in, the, in Zero Hour... Ted asks his, his estranged wife, like, it'll be like in the beginning. Don't you remember? And she's like, all I have are memories. Mostly I remember the nights that you held me. And then when the sun came up, it was like each day was made just for... And like, it's a really melodramatic scene. But an airplane, it's exactly the same. He says, don't you... Like in the beginning, don't you remember? And your line changes from... It just inserts one line where she's like, I mostly I remember the nights where you hold me and how I would sit on your face and wriggle. And then when the sun came, and then like, but she just like delivers it like she's in the 57 movie and it works so well. And she's so good every time she has to do that. And she has to do that a lot. There's another line that I love that she delivers where it's a flashback to Ted in a, Ted in the, in the VA hospital. And she's like, you'll get out in a week. Isn't that nice? I found it's a great little apartment with a nice little bedroom with mirrors on the ceiling. <laughs> It's just like everything she says is super sexually charged, and I, I really like her for it. I, it's worth pointing out the grandma that um, Ted sits next to, yep. where he he's up he's upset, and she says, "No wonder you're upset. She's lovely and a darling figure, supple pouting breasts, firm thighs. <laughs> it's a shame you two don't get along." And she doesn't overplay it either. It and yeah. it's definitely the kind of lines where. If you if you don't pay attention, and you're like, did she? What did she really just say that? Like, yeah. it's just it's put in without any fanfare, 
and it really awards like repeat viewing because it's it doesn't tell you it's a joke and i think that's what ruins comedy for me is if the actors or the sound tells you this is a joke um also see jason staten in spy but (laughs) but um i think that's part of the like what you're talking about is i think maybe what keeps airplane sort of being beloved to this day right is that if if there's a joke in this movie that you either miss or don't like all you have to do is wait 10 seconds because there'll be another one mm-hmm. you know it's it's consistently very very funny and like i i don't like johnny but he's only ever on screen for like 10 seconds yeah. and then there's another funny thing happening and most of my favorite jokes in the movie when i mean as a kid i used to love the big ones but now most of my favorite jokes are really subtle, like sight gags and stuff. So there, and there's, there's something, there's something there for everyone. Some of it, I mean, it's 1980. Some of it's pretty problematic now, but <laughs> as long as you're able to acknowledge that, I think it's, you're allowed to like problematic things as long as you understand and acknowledge. Right. So yeah. there's some, there's some low key misogyny and some racism, but it's 1980 and I'm a we're allowed to move past it. I think. I think so as well. And that that everyone's always included in the joke. No one's being made like a, a target of it. Um, the I what I really found fascinating as a writer as well is the absolute genius of knowing when to end a joke. Do you know what I mean? Like they Yeah, nothing is they, ever played too long. Like no, every joke is Every moment from the original script that they found that they could insert humor into it, they added just enough to make it funny and then immediately moved on to the next thing. And honestly, when I was a drama teacher, my biggest battle was trying to stop people trying to be funny because I was teaching like 16-year-old boys, mainly boys from the valleys, and all they want to do is goof around and think they're hilarious. And it turns out comedy is really, really hard. And you'd end up sitting through like 45 minutes of the same joke. And that's like 44 minutes after it was funny. So I really yeah, D- appreciate. It's really genius. tough dealing with uh, really tough dealing with DJs from up country, isn't it? <laughs> Fucking DJs from up country. You detest DJs from up country. I love yeah. having like, where, where are your DJs from? Laval. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know where Laval is, but it tracks. Um, but, so I, I, uh, I just think it's for a movie that is considered to be a stupid comedy. It is so brilliantly written to just be funny and then move on to the next funny thing. And um, a lot of comedies, modern comedies, don't do that. They they really wring out the jokes as much as they can. No, and, and I uh, think I think it's a real art. I think the 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 types of the types of comedies that are popular these days are often heavily reliant on improvisation, and I, I don't want to um, disparage improv as a skill. It's it's something you have to be very very good at to make work, and I think most of the people who do it are actually very good at it. But I also think that there's an like things go on too long, um, and it's clear they're trying to find. I think as much as I like the movie, I think the 2016 Ghostbusters is a great example of they were tr- clearly trying to find the funny in the edit and just letting everyone go, right? Mm-hmm. I think they were m- mostly successful, uh, mm-hmm. but it's it's very rare that you get like a bridesmaids out of it, right? Like it's even the, yeah. even Spy, which is a film that I think is very funny, yeah. has some very long stretches of just <laughs> absolutely bad, right? Whereas I think I think a very tightly scripted something like this is generally, I think, far more successful. What was the movie we watched with Charlie from Always Sunny? And he's he goes to a school, and it's meant to be a comedy. It's like Punch Punch Night or something. Oh, oh yeah, Fight Fight Night. It's uh, he's a, he's a teacher I, and he offends another teacher right, and they're gonna have a fight. Right. Yeah. And that that movie was one of the most excruciating things I've had to sit through because they clearly just thought they could just improvise their way around the script to make it funny. And it was so badly done and a great example of how improv can't be used or shouldn't be used all the time to, to just to try and make something funny because it, it that's really not its job as well. And on the flip side, you've got airplane, which has to be tight 
and scripted. It has to yeah. be for the timings. And I'm with you. I I'm I do also love. Um, we call it girl Ghostbusters in our house because my family love it more than any other Ghostbusters. But there's definitely some scenes. And I've watched the extended cut and it doesn't get any better. <laughs> yeah. Like there's definitely scenes that needed to be scripted or, or cut right down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's very clear. I think, I think another reason that airplane stays beloved as well is that it's very clear that everyone, like there's a, there's a very intentional attention to detail mm-hmm. and in ways that like we mentioned sort of earlier, about the two co-pilot characters that um, there's a lot of deep cut references to zero hour. Like, so in zero hour, the co-pilot of the plane is played by crazy legs. Hirsch, who is a famous football player. And in airplane, it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's obviously one of the most famous basketballers in the history of basketball. Mm-hmm. And he, that's the reason he's there. It's just because in the original, they had a famous sports guy. So they needed a famous sports guy for this one. And he clearly watched the movie and apes that guy's body language amazingly yeah yeah um and then like at the very beginning one of the scenes that you'd potentially call problematic which is the sort of red zone white zone uh exchange between the two (laughs) announcers at la airport which i mean it's it's still pretty funny but like you know there's there's no stopping in a red zone the white zone is for loading and unloading or and then like they're going back and forth they hired the real announcers from the real la airport for that Oh, really? They did, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. And there's a great scene in the middle where um, uh, the stewardess, Randy, asks a family if they'd like a second cup of coffee. And the, the wife says, I will, but Jim won't. And then Jim has a second cup of coffee. And she thinks, and she thinks that's funny. Jim never has a second cup of coffee at home. And that joke is repeated later on with a different situation, but oh, that, but yeah. that woman, but that's that's a, a deep cut. That's a reference to what was a very popular ad for. I think it was like uh, I can't remember the name of it, but a very famous coffee brand in the seventies. And that woman was the woman in those ads. Oh no way! And and yeah. it's, it's it's her voice thought all like reverby and echoey. And later yeah. he's sick into a bag and it cuts to her and she says, yeah. "That's funny. Jim doesn't vomit at home." Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's it's that level of detail like uh that level of attention to detail uh right down again to the actors basically parodying themselves and uh one of my favorite facts and i don't know if this is true but i desperately want it to be true is that originally like these days we have directing duos all over the place you know, the Safdie brothers, uh, the the Stranger Things guy, all those people. But in back in the day, the Directors Guild didn't really used to do multiple directors credits. And Airplane was one of the sort of earlier exceptions. But when it wasn't clear that they were going to be allowed to, Jim Abrams, the plan was for him to take sole credit as director. And he apparently legally changed his last name to Abrams and Zuckers so that everyone would get credit. Really? <laughs> yeah i hope that's true too yeah so and, and um, then and then just like i mean obviously one of the most famous scenes in the movie is with the jive talking guys and then the old woman that comes up who also speaks jive and she's like this lovely older woman and i mean oh, in in 2022 she's just a lovely old lady but in 1980 her name is barbara billingsley she was the mother on leave it to beaver in the fifth she's basically america's mom like this is she's a super famous person in 1980 like the and and leave it to beaver is like the like the exemplar 1950s family sitcom where she's the loving stay-at-home mom and voice of reason for the whole show so when she showed like it's funny now but it was like in 1980 it would have been both funny and shocking (laughs) she's so good (laughs) One and of my apparently... favorite other parts. No, go on. Go on. No, go. no on, on, on the on the point of famous people of the time is when uh, Ted's in military hospital, and he says, "Yeah, they've all got PTSD." It's like uh, Johnny over there thinks he's still in the war, and Johnny's like, uh, "I'll kill you here. I found the hole." And and then Elaine's like, "What about her? What what about this guy?" And he says, "Oh, he thinks that he, he thinks he's Ethel Merman." And it cuts to the bed, and it's Ethel Merman in the bed yeah. singing. 
<laughs> Sing yeah. that song. Uh, Ethel Merman Steve in her Merman. in her final film role. <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. There's so many uh, great things like that in this movie, and yeah. I I laugh literally every time that I watch it, and I still routinely notice things. Yeah. I mean, Me I can't remember the last time I noticed anything big, but it was only three or four years ago. There's a scene where. Johnny is talking to the press, and I only noticed a couple of years ago that one of the microphones in front of him is actually an ice cream cone. <laughs> just, <laughs> and I just, I just love that about it, you know, like that I'm still seeing things years later because they're just, they're not called out. It's not called out. It's not telegraphed. It's not like highlighted. It's just there's a bunch of microphones, and one of them's an ice cream cone. <laughs> well, for me this time was there's one scene where Ted's talking to his ex general who's going to talk him down from the um, Chicago Tower, and the general's on the phone to him, and they cut back and forth, and the general says, "You know, we've been through a lot, but I just want to tell you, it's going to be okay." And it cuts back to Ted listening to him, and just over his shoulder, it's a live vulture, <laughs> just <laughs> just push back. Just push behind him, and he comes back to the general. And then when we go back to the cockpit, the vulture's gone. It's just that. Yeah. And I was saying to you, like, imagine being so committed to the bit that you hire an animal crew to get your live vulture on set just for like half a second reaction shot. Uh, that was uh, that really entertained me. Have you ever <laughs> um, have you ever stayed to the end of the credits on airplane? Uh, I don't. So speaking of committing to the bit, so at the very beginning of the film, Ted is trying to chase down Elaine, who's basically like leaving him, and he's driving a cab, and he pulls up to the curb, and a guy gets in the cab, and he starts the meter and says, I'll be right back. And there's a really funny moment about halfway through the film that's a super tragic moment, and there's a hard cut to this guy just sitting in the cab, and the meter's at like $115 or something like that. If you stay to the end of the credits it fades in on the guy in the cab and he looks at his watch and says, well, I'll only give him 20 more minutes. <laughs> like, just, <laughs> just, like, talk about commitment to the joke, right? Like, it's just so perfect. So perfect. Uh, um, what, before we give our star rating and we wrap up, I just want to say it's really worth, if, if listeners, you end up, watching airplane if you can watch zero hour then airplane fantastic and then what then watch airplane too because it is a fantastic example of of the writing not landing and the jokes not landing of things being stretched out and not being that funny because it's this one guy i've never heard of who's the writer director of the whole thing oh you you mentioned to me you know way more about this than i do but it was a rush job to get it out to capitalize on the the success and it's, yeah, a and, great, uh, it's a great parallel because it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And so it's a great like writing and directing cast, those two together. What's really interesting, too, is that the um, uh, his name is out of my head at the moment, but the guy who directed and I think helped co- at least helped co-write Airplane 2 mm-hmm. is actually a pretty funny guy. Like, he does make funny stuff. Um let me just look up his name because I can't remember it off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, Ken Finkelman. He's a Canadian director. Mm. He's made lots of really great stuff, uh, including he, uh, where he did. He's also famous though for doing like he did Grease too, which is not as good oh. as which is not a bad movie exactly, but it's not Grease. You know, my wife loves that movie. I've never seen it. Um, but for. Uh, sorry, my brain has gone away. But he did um, foreign objects and at the hotel and Good Dog uh, and a bunch of other stuff. He's done he's done a ton of stuff, is what I'm trying to say, and he's actually quite funny. So it's interesting because mm-hmm. Airplane Two is a bad movie. Yeah, and it's really it's sort of the opposite of what we're talking about, right? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. only a couple of years later. They're clearly just trying to capitalize. They're not paying attention to the detail. They're just capitalizing on the gag and it mm-hmm. doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't think it's any shock that I'm going to give airplane a five star rating. I've already said it's my favorite movie. So what would you give it out is of it, five? Is it your favorite movie of all time though? 
I think it probably, I mean, it's certainly the one that I come back to the most. Yeah. I, I have a hard time, you know, ranking art in that way, but it's like, if you were going to say like the top five movies in my head canon, this would definitely mm-hmm. be in competition mm-hmm. for the top. I mean, it's a five-star movie without any kind of doubt because it's just so brilliantly done and so measured and so balanced and so restrained, which is a weird adjective to use for the, for this movie. But it is really restrained because lesser writers, lesser directors would have screwed up the timing to begin with and then extended the jokes longer than they should have. And uh, as we can see in the sequel, so it's um, it's a a perfect example of how to do that kind of comedy definitely mm-hmm. well five what here's the thing let's do a thing let's do it back and forth and i'm going to say these can be either ranked or unranked but let's say what are your yeah. five you do one i'll do one your five yeah. favorite jokes in airplane go go oh, with your geez. first what's your first one? Oh, uh um 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 should i t- should i check the weather no you handle it <laughs> No, that, why don't you? I actually use that. I use that at work all the time, eh? <laughs> whenever, I, whenever I have a staff member, like a person who I'm managing, comes up and says, "You want me to do this?" I say, "No, why don't you take care of it?" <laughs> do they laugh? Do they laugh? I hope they laugh. I think some of them, um, the good ones, the good ones do. Um, and uh, what's a what's a hospital? Of course. Oh yeah, the just that running gag of. A hospital well, what is it enough. it's a big room with buildings with a big room of patients but that's not important right now yeah <laughs> um, I mean, i'm gonna go with uh my my one of the ones again a lot of mine are pretty subtle one of my favorite things in the whole movie is the fact that they are flying a jet plane but it makes propeller noises the whole time <laughs> <laughs> oh i meant to ask you so the you know when ted has flashbacks to his spitfire in airplane yeah. when he's trying to land the craft. That's actual zero-hour footage, isn't it? I mean, the stuff, I think some of it is, but then also there's those famous yeah, clips of like right early <laughs> early flying contraptions that failed. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Other jokes, okay. Well, give me another one of yours while I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, one of them. One of them was uh, one of mine as well. But um, there's an early on when they when you first when you first meet Robert Stack's Captain Rex Kramer in the film, <laughs> he's being picked up at his home and he comes down the stairs and he's looking at him and he's looking in the mirror as he's putting on his jacket and he puts on his hat and then it cuts away to someone else and when it cuts back when he goes to leave the house he steps out of the mirror. It's <laughs> it's like a perfectly executed sight gag. <laughs> <laughs> Um, vulture for me. Don't worry, it's all going to be okay. And there's a live vulture for half a second yeah. in the in the reverse shot. And um, uh, excuse me, I thought you'd like some tea. That's a, well, I'd rather have coffee. I like my coffee like I like my men black. Yeah. And she's like a twelve year old girl. <laughs> you know what makes that? Jo- so yeah, there's a it's a little boy and he brings her some coffee and she's like, I take it black like my men. But what makes that joke hilarious? other than the obvious, is that there's a, there's a setup scene for it. There's a scene when the passengers are all boarding and the boy is sitting there in his chair in a suit and he and she's walking down the aisle and he like checks her out like an adult would. So this actually, scene is actually a joke with setup and payoff, which again yeah. makes it amazing. It's nice. Uh, okay, another one of yours? I mean, Barbara fucking Billingsley is so amazing. You know, when she, oh, stewardess, I speak jive. <laughs> Just, <laughs> and like, I I don't know how racist the whole jive thing is anymore. It's I know that be quite... <laughs> I mean I know that the the guys there they wrote all the dialogue. They apparently they improvised a lot of it. But when she's mm-hmm. like just just you know, she translates what they say and then she's like just hang loose, blood. You're going to come back on the mid side. <laughs> it's just like it's Barbara <laughs> Billingsley. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've done four, so my last one is going to be um, uh, oh, probably uh, just want to let you know we're all counting on you. Like, oh, yeah, I just want to say good luck three times. Yeah, yeah. just want to say good luck. We're all counting. On you. Yeah. What would what would be your what would be your fifth? Uh, 
I'm I'm going to cheat and say there's so there's two two I'll use one is all of the stupid little one-off one-liner gags. I love every single one of them. Uh, like a good example of them is one is Rex Kramer driving to the hospital and he's talking on a or to the air, airport and he's talking on a car phone and he's giving all these instructions about how like no tell him to go this way tell him to do that okay keep him at twenty four thousand no feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really good. And there's, and there's another one where there's just a guy in the control room talking on the phone. He's like, yeah, he's one of the passengers. He's flying the planes. He has no experience. He's a menace to everything in the sky. Yeah, birds too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've, so so uh, the only joke in this movie that makes me gasp, like, did I really hear what I just heard, comes right at the beginning. I'm not going to say it now, but it's the payoff of the two announcers at the beginning arguing over what the right zone and the red zone are for and what the argument is really about. Oh, and this yeah. is the, the first gag of the movie is an abortion joke and they yeah. play it completely straight and it, it really sets the tone. It really yep. does. It really does. I also love, there's a, a great cutaway joke where they're, they're lost in the fog and they can't see and uh lloyd bridges and and robert stack are talking and they say they're talking about what they don't know what they are and he says fine they're on instruments and it cuts to them in the cockpit and they're playing <laughs> instruments <laughs> they're playing like dixieland jazz i love that scene and i think i think probably just i had objectively is the wrong word but just like in terms of performance, I think my favorite scene in the entire movie is the one where Leslie Nielsen pulls uh, Peter Graves out of the cockpit and says, uh, <laughs> "How soon can you land?" And Peter Graves no, says, no, no. "I can't. I can't tell." Well, you can tell me. I'm a doctor. Well, not for another three hours. You can't tell me for another three hours. <laughs> Just like I forget that. That's perfect. Yeah, it's so it's perfectly executed. It's worth shouting out to the engineers of Otto, the autopilot as well, because when that man is getting like inflated, when Elaine has to inflate him and his head turns and his eyes are wide open, uh, that thing has a life of its own. Uh, I remember watching that as a child and trying to work out what was going on. Um, I also, I mean, I could just say I love every scene of this movie, but I do also, I would, it's maybe one of the more infantile scenes in the movie, but I do love the scene that I don't, I don't think it is, but I really hope that it was just improvised where Leslie Nielsen is standing at the back of the cockpit and he's describing the symptoms of the poison to the stewardess Mm -hmm. whilst Peter Graves is acting them out 10 feet away. (laughs) And, (laughs) and I don't know if if it was, that was an improv scene and it clearly wasn't because there's a moment of like drool. But like just the the look on his face the entire time as he's acting out like getting a fever and then scratching his throat because he's got a sore throat is so perfect. I'm just gonna say I love the whole movie. I love the whole movie. Yeah, War, it's and a all. good film. It's a pretty good film. That's true. Yeah, they certainly don't make him like that anymore. Well, they tried, but they fail. Yes. Now we just get scary movie over and over again. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. Good. All right, so what's coming up next week for you? I have no idea. Something. Something's coming up. All right. Yeah. We're going to watch Bad Guys tonight, which is a children's movie, an animated movie Mm -hmm. about animals who are bad but decide to be good. And uh, turns out the wolf has a a praise kink, which is nice if you're into that kind of thing. Um, Interesting. So we probably won't cover that next week. I don't know what no, although, I the next thing I know for uh, sure that I want to see that I would I think and we'll probably have to see it in theaters is I know that uh, in two weeks we have Top Gun. I don't know what's coming up this week though. Is that in two weeks? So, I thought that was in July for some reason. Uh, it was supposed to be in July last year. It got bumped to May oh, this year. I see. This has been yeah, delayed so like three times. Those Top Gun reviews, the funniest of which was one guy saying, um, if you want an indication of how good Top Gun is, I 
spent so long thinking about it that I lost, I forgot to do Wordle and broke my 127 day streak. <laughs> so <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, these reviews by people who I really, really, uh, respect their opinion are crazy. Like I'm not even a massive fan of Top Gun. I've watched it a bunch of times. It's fine. It's it's not the it's not one of my favorite movies, but this sounds just incredible. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think Joseph Kaczynski is a a good director, and I think that I mean it was uh, written by Christopher McQuarrie, so that's Tom Cruise's oh, really? go-to guy right now, right? So yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, cool, well, cool, I'm cool. sure we'll have something to talk about next week. I just don't know what it is right now. So yes, let's let's go ahead and sign off. We're over time and say thank you to everyone for listening. We do appreciate and love each and every one of you. And if you are enjoying what you're hearing, please feel free to give us a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice. That helps us immeasurably and puts us in front of more earballs uh, so we can, you know, get out there more. Uh, if you'd like to support us more directly, we do also have a Patreon, which will be linked in the show notes, and Just Watch Powered uh, streaming links for each film will also be on this episode's homepage, which will be linked to in the show notes. Um, this episode is uh, produced and recorded by me and performed by me and Simon from the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish Nations. And thank you for joining us on this awesome Friday. Bye. Bye.